0: Welcome to Not Just Pretty Pictures, a podcast that celebrates the written word, the art of storytelling, and the writers who write those stories. I'm Eric Rutherford, and I'll be reading these stories of triumph and truth, detailing the journey behind the pretty pictures, with a hope to uplift along the way and find the commonality between us all. Today's piece is written by me, Eric Rutherford. Do you think you've had enough? By Eric Rutherford. Do you think you've had enough, he said? Enough of what, I thought. This expensive champagne? You trying to get into my pants? Or do you mean this ridiculous level of self-pity which I am wallowing in at the moment, while I sit in your beautiful and expensive condo high atop West Hollywood, swallowing your beverages, canapes, and this possible peace offering of salvation that you've just extended? I attempted an empty smirk, I knew what he meant. All of me knew. I had been living with the answer for a while, but just didn't have the guts to say it. Was tonight the night? Was God really answering all my weepy prayers through Roger? The graying, hefty talent manager who had offered me plenty, but nothing quite like this? I appreciated the wicked irony. Yes, I've had enough. As I quickly finished off what very well could have been my last sip of alcohol ever, And so it began. Or had the end really begun when I'd had that first sip? The next day was Saturday, when most people either were recovering from a hangover or getting ready to have one. I was gearing myself up to never have one again. I felt beaten down. I was 21 and exhausted from the angst, the using, and the constant screwball, tragicomedy my life had become. The laughs were less and the sadness was more. I had started drinking when I was 12 years old. It was with the kids I had played football with and the cheerleaders who hung around us. We drank and smoked in the back of a mall or out in the woods near the Everglades. It was Florida in the 80s and felt a little like the wild, wild west, except with alligators. It was always really easy to get someone's older brother or sister to buy you a six-pack of beer or peppermint schnapps or some stranger we would scam into doing it for us. Last choice was sneaking vodka out of my parents' liquor cabinet. By the way, never steal the dark ones. Clear was always better because you could just fill it up with water and make it look like nothing was missing. You should always check for any Sharpie marks, too, just in case. It would work for a while and eventually we'd get busted. You see, watered down vodka does not taste the same as regular vodka. It tastes like watered down vodka. My dad was making drinks for some of his buddies and everyone complained. My dad was embarrassed. I got grounded junior mistake on my part one which I quickly learned as I got dressed that Saturday to meet Roger at the meeting I spun myself up what do you wear to say you're an alcoholic dark denim and a blue button-down shirt your favorite tea to show part of your personality black on black to present your pain it's always wise to make a good first impression it's hard to recover after a fumble at 13, i had had my first big drunk. It had left a big impression on me. I remember it well because it was right after I had performed You Are 16 going on 17 in the special New Year's Eve show at the Royal Palm Dinner Theater. It was a packed house with people dressed to the nines. Tuxes and gowns also leave a big impression. It was a big, big night for me. I was jacked up like I had swallowed a bag of sugar and then chased it with a six-pack of Coke. We had performed the musical Oliver earlier in the evening. I then sang my duo in the one-night-only cabaret show. Champagne was flowing, people were cheering, and I was gulping every glass I could get my hands on. The adult actors thought it was cute, and it probably was at the time. A tipsy kid was always good for a laugh. I liked making people laugh. I liked performing. I was in my teenage dream. I was also in my own living nightmare just a few days before one of these very adults who I was making laugh had molested me in the dressing room. I don't know if I drank to forget or drank to be comfortable. Either way, when my parents came to pick me up and dragged me out to the car, I remember uncomfortably laughing as I fell into the back seat. Walking up those stairs to my first AA meeting was a mix of red carpet rush of people staring at you, shame-infused guilt from years of fucking up, and the high of finding your light on a stage and feeling an unfamiliar sense of comfort and calm. Roger walked into the room with me, which was packed like central casting had said, send me all the hot and handsome successful looking men in their late 20s and 30s in tight t-shirts. Tom and his cute boyfriend of a year greeted us as we entered the big conference room where the meeting was taking place. Tom was celebrating a year of sobriety. He was a big-time TV writer who'd gotten his act together 365 days ago. Hence, new boyfriend. Roger and the boyfriend were giving him a birthday cake tonight in honor of that one year. As I struggled to stay in my body, surrounded by all the guys introducing themselves to me, asking if I was sober, I looked at Tom and thought, I want what he's got, because I didn't want what I had anymore. I went to my first bar at 14. At 15, I'd had my first line of coke. Sooner after that line, I crossed another. I came out to my parents. Shit hit the fan in the family, and by 16, I was dancing in gay bars, dating drug dealers, and sneaking in my window as the sun came up. By the time my senior year rolled around, my life was falling apart, when it should have been spectacular. I was captain of the high school football team, which had the best winning record in the history of the school. I was dating a debutante from LA while also dating a handsome flight attendant in Fort Lauderdale. I'd gotten into USC's prestigious BFA theater program after auditioning against thousands of other kids from around the country. All of this should have spelled winner, except I was drinking and using myself right into a nervous breakdown. I was running scared from people finding out I was gay. I didn't feel emotionally safe in my own home, and I was lost in my identity as a person. During one weekend after a big winning football game, I partied from Saturday night with the team right into Sunday tea with the Queens. I gave myself alcohol poisoning. I threw up and couldn't keep anything down. I missed school. By the time I went back, my clothes hung on my frail shoulders. I had lost 25 pounds in my drive. My football uniform barely fit me. I knew there was a problem. I told my parents. They told me I was too young to be an alcoholic or a drug addict. It was the 80s. I knew they were wrong, but what's a kid to do? Hi, I'm Eric. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. It was done, it was out there. There There's no going back. I had stood up and said it in front of a room full of strangers. Now I was back in my seat and shaking. I had broken into a sweat as soon as my butt sat back down. I felt a a relief and a power in the words of what i had finally said. Roger tapped my thigh, but this time I was grateful and thanked him. I hadn't been able to muster the courage to say the words the night before, but this Sunday morning I blurted them out. Maybe it was because I'd heard Tom talk after getting his cake for a year, or maybe it was because it was my mom's birthday and I wanted to mark the day as my own. Whatever it was, May 7th became a starting point for me. Moving to Los Angeles had been a new starting point for me when I graduated high school at 17. I was leaving my hometown behind with all the hurt and hardship. Being 3,000 miles away from my family was the best solution for all of us. They could exist without me and I could begin to find my way in the city of angels. Or city of gay angels. All seemed bright and hopeful. I could begin to be myself an openly gay acting student amongst other students. Except instead of angels, I dove in with the devils. Or shall I say the pack of gays who were the cool kids, the best looking with the best bodies who had the best drugs and went to the best parties. I was 17 years old and got swept up fast. I loved every minute. I was being gay without fear of being found out or tossed out. I was kissing boys and dancing with them and no one cared. I was getting high and getting higher on this new drug called crystal. It was instant love. You only needed a little, unlike real love. You cut a small line, grabbed a straw, and inhaled deeply. The burn was immediate as it flew up your nose and into your brain. Every time I did it, my nose seared with pain. My eyes watered. I liked the rush inside me. Coke was good. But Crystal was fun, laced with danger. Whenever I did it, the dark side always won. It wasn't for the weak. It was intense and pulled out a dirty sensuality in me that I rarely played in. It would tear down the guardrails and throw out any sense of restraint. It was a killer, too. I saw friends die from doing too much. Their lives would spiral out of control, jobs would be lost, friendships destroyed, and they keep wanting more. I had one friend, a very successful doctor. Forget to take his insulin because he kept getting high. After one long weekend of partying together, he was found dead. It was a shock. He had had it all, and then he didn't. I wanted it all, too. I wanted success. I wanted love. I wanted to wake up in the morning without my heart hurting and my head pounding, screaming at myself that one more time I had proven I was a worthless piece of shit with zero chance of having any sort of dream come true. Or falling in love. Or living beyond 21 years old. Those first few days and months of sobriety were scarily brutal and wonderfully harsh. I sobbed constantly in meetings. To the extent people knew what was coming and braced themselves for the tears some with visible eye rolls. I shared my rage at God and my life and my family in that order. Sometimes the order would change, but the rage always stayed the same. There was no pink cloud of sobriety for me in those times. I dove straight into the pain, ripped the band-aid off, and wallowed in it. I loved a good wallow. I still do. It was always intensely labored, over the top, and packed with enough emotional drag to bring me down, which in turn was always quite comforting. The familiarity of the drag was better than any childhood teddy bear. I'd come to know that lovely label, Broken, as my own, worn with misguided pride, and bequeathed a place of honor in my story. One of my favorite scenes to repeat while using was to be strung out on coke, swigging a beer and inhaling deeply on a Marlboro Red. Just was all so maudlin. When I let go of the drugs and the booze, I had to try to reimagine the moment with a pot of bad black coffee in the same pack of cigarettes. It didn't quite have the same cinematic impact or look. A month after dropping the drink, I lit my last cigarette. I remember sitting outside the house I shared with Jeremy Renner, the mighty Avenger, where I was renting a room and inhaled, searching for the comfort in the smoke. I exhaled, and it was gone. I lit another, and another. Nothing changed. Or maybe I had. 32 years later and a lot has changed. I am grayer, calmer, deemed a success in the eyes of many. My family sees an adult man who has fought and won my friends see a passionate, powerful person who shows up and doesn't disappear. When the video is played back for me to see, I see me amongst the laugh lines and crow's feet, a boy who knew when he'd had enough, and a man who's still learning to love that boy. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all your time, your positive support, and outspoken kindness. I wanna tell my mom and dad how much I love them and I'm grateful for their support. I'm grateful to all our guests who opened their hearts and shared their stories on this podcast. Because of all of them and all of you, we are encouraged to keep going. Tune in later this week for final thoughts as we wrap season one of Not Just Pretty Pictures. Not Just Pretty Pictures is hosted by me, Eric Rutherford, Produced by Courtney and Phineas of Stereotype Studio. Supported by you, the listener. A big thank you to our friends who shared their stories with us. If you want to support the show, please subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.